Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for a revelation this morning. Father, we've come to expound and expound upon how extol how great Jesus is. We've come to marvel about the journey that Jesus has taken and the one we take with him. Let the word be true. Let it be strong. We thank you, Father, that you lead us and you take us in your word to that place of deeper faith and deeper understanding. We bless you, O Lord, and let your Holy Spirit move us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a scripture to start us off. And uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ, there was a, a very prominent prophet of the time called Isaiah. And Isaiah, as we know, is, gave us so much wealth and richness of prophetic understanding. Now, understand this first and foremost. The people of his time did not understand what he was prophesying. How many of you know that quite often the prophetic word is not understood in the time and place that it's released in? How many of you also know that many times the prophetic word is a very good word, and sometimes it's a very challenging word? We're in a society that only wants to get a good word. And when it's a challenging word, the volume gets turned down. And uh, when it's a word that isn't quite the one that people are expecting or is the popular word, it gets turned down. Isaiah, if you look at most of his, uh, the writings of Isaiah, a lot of it is very challenging. It's very troubling. It's, it's a caution, a big caution flag. But there are some deviations from that, and one of the most popular we know of comes out of chapter 9 in the book of Isaiah. And he foretold this basically to an audience that wasn't listening. And his message was, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What I would like to raise some emphasis on is this. Notice that his focus is on government and at the increase of government, a government of peace. And he says that this government will have no end once this child is given. So we fast forward and we understand that Jesus Christ, can we stop these lights moving here, please? In the house, thank you. That once, it's a little distracting, isn't it? I keep looking this way and this way and I'm not catching it. The once the Lord manifested himself on earth, a whole nother dimension of activity began to be released. And it first of all began with this time here on earth, and there was a maturation time on earth. Notice that there was an overlapping of systems and things. He was born, but yet really it was business as usual on earth, with the exception that Herod wanted to kill all the children to try and avoid and keep this king of the Jews 
from displacing and replacing him. Whenever there's a move of God, there will be a very difficult and egregious move of evil to try and withstand and annihilate the move of God. We understand that, and we expect that, and we see that even today. In the world that we live in today, the Lord is pouring out like he's never had before. In some ways, he's pouring out with power. He's pouring out with, with, with miracles. He's pouring out with word. The airwaves are saturated with the word, word of God all over the place. You could only not receive the word of God if you try to avoid receiving the word of God. That would be it. And so there are. People turn it off. People don't want to hear it. They re refuse. They reject but the word of God, as he said, it would go out through all the ends of the earth. That has happened, and that is happening. I know we hear about there's a few more languages that hasn't been translated into. But don't put God in a box. Don't think that God isn't getting his message and, and his power to everybody everywhere under the earth. God doesn't need you and I. He wants you and I. And uh, he does want us to be those kingdom people. But the Lord will fulfill his will regardless of us, but it's better if it's with us. We notice that Isaiah also pointed out that this child um, would have a government that would be upon his shoulder. Well, the shoulder is the place of a burden. The shoulder is a place that also has the stamina. The shoulder is the place that carries the calling. And so this government is upon the shoulder of Jesus Christ. And we know that this is a kingdom, and it's a kingdom of God, and we know that a subchapter of that kingdom is the church. And the church, the ecclesia, is you and I and everyone who believes in him, no matter what your denomination is. Some denominations would do well to learn and understand that they're not the only church, that there are more people, that uh, whether they make the sign of the cross or don't make the sign of the cross doesn't determine whether they get a pass into the membership of the church. There's only one way. Whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And those who call upon Jesus Christ and obey him, and obey him, have all of a sudden been transformed into this government, this church government. And of course, we know that they expected this Messiah to come upon the throne of David. And this Messiah was to be one who would deliver and liberate the Jewish people, the Israelites. So, we can understand that the prophet Isaiah was a little bit uh, moved by his times and his understanding of politics in the world that he was in also, and what the prophetic expectations were of the coming of the Messiah. I don't think that he had any mind at all of baby Jesus as Jesus really was. I just think he received the word and he gave it, and that's a true prophet. A true prophet doesn't have to have understanding. A true prophet has to believe the word of the Lord that they hear and give it in spite of understanding. Because if you're looking for understanding for the prophetic word, when you release it, then I call that a rear view prophet. That's somebody who's looking in the mirror for something that already happened or somebody already said and it came through. Uh, Isaiah was not a rear view prophet. He was foretelling and going forward. And then we go forward and we understand that baby Jesus was born as we've just proclaimed and we just uh, shared with song the wonder of that night and the wonder of that day. But as one would expect for the world to rock and shake, it didn't happen. 
Very few knew he was born that day, did they? And so this happened in a remote place and in a remote way. And our scriptures, our synoptic gospels sort of merge into each other. And we get this assumption that these wise men, uh, and we understand it could have been three, it could have been more, but these wise men came from afar, and we understand maybe the world they came from, it could be Asia, it could be Iraq, it could be that area, it's irrelevant really, but they came probably in the first year of his life. He was, he was now not a newborn baby, he was about one year old, and they came to proclaim him king because that's what they received. Most likely, they didn't really even understand scriptures that well. But they came because God had put it upon their heart. What did they come with? Provision. They came with provision and wealth that sustained what the Lord had for this baby. This baby and his parents, they had to escape. They had to go into Egypt. And so they needed the funds. They needed the provisions. And they came with the provisions. Now, let's gleam something from that, please. There's a move of God happening in our lives. We are those who are to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Emmanuel again with us, but not as a baby, but as the risen Christ, as, as the Christ that is born again, as the Christ that's coming from heaven, released from his Father on a, on a white horse with all of his saints with him. It's beyond my understanding. I know that's what the Word says, but let's not be so graphic that we try to determine exactly what it means. And if there's one caution I've taught for a long time in a discipline that I run myself, especially when it comes down to the process of eschatology, that of trying to understand that prophetic foretelling of what's going to happen by Scripture, do not put it down on a piece of paper as if it's exactly your interpretation of what you're receiving. If Isaiah couldn't get it right, you're probably not going to get it right. If John the Baptist couldn't get it right, you're probably not going to get it right. He grew up with Jesus. They both had to escape to Egypt together. They played with each other. Their mothers knew each other. The families knew each other. John's father was a priest. And Mary was the most beloved woman, right? I mean, they had all the supernatural reasons to get it right. But John still had to ask him, are you the one? After having rubbed elbows with him and played with him and, and, and ate with him and, and journeyed with him. He still had to ask him if he is one, but yet we get these roadmaps that are given to us about a pre-trib, a post-trib, a mid-trib, and it's all garbage. Listen to me, and if I offend anybody too bad, it's all garbage. Throw it aside. Put it aside. Allow the Lord to lead us moment by moment, day by day. And how many of you know that most of the people that had prophesied in an interpretation of things that were supposed to take us to a place have already been proven wrong, but yet they haven't accepted it. Why? Because we're prideful people. We're egotistical people. We even get proud in our spiritualism. We want to be so right about being so spiritually right that we'll even hold on to things when we shouldn't hold on to them. One of the most liberating things for me, I shared it here a couple years back, was when the Lord told me I didn't need to try and prove statements of faith that I gave 30 years ago. The Lord said, that was your understanding now. This is your understanding then. It, it's so liberating to let go and to allow God and not have to hold on to those things and to break religious dogma. How many of you also know that, quote, unquote, uh, born again, I don't care what you call yourself, you know, Pentecostal, a charismatic, 
I, I don't know what you want to call yourself. I have a hard time calling myself a Pentecostal because that's what it was, and that's not what it is. We're beyond that. We're beyond the Pentecostal movement. It's, it's, it's grown. It's matured. We're going from a glory to another glory. Some have called it the prophetic movement and then the apostolic movement. And there's different things. The glory movement, if you're dealing with the supernatural. All I know is this, that we're moving from a glory to a glory to another glory. And what was is already behind us. And we build upon it with an understanding of fresh revelation. And that's why what we do is we're constantly asking the Lord for fresh revelation of that which we've had. Now, the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus will be preached all over the world this week. All over the world, in different ways and in different means, but people will be understanding it the way they want. And I can honestly tell you, I've never shared it the same way twice because God constantly leads me and gives me a little bit more insight. Now, notice this. Before Jesus went back into the heavenlies, after he was resurrected, can we go to uh, the book of John chapter 20? And I'd like to go to uh, verses 21 and 22, please, if you will. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Stop. Notice that the one function of Jesus' final words to his disciples and this final movement before he's ascending and leaving them uh, at that moment was to send them. It was to send them. And to allow us to understand that the revelation of what the Father has done is he sent the Son. God so loved, right? The world that he gave is only, and I heard one person preaching recently, a woman said, forgotten son. And uh, he used it and said, well, yes, the Lord forgot his own son that he might save you. His only forgotten son. No, it's his begotten son. So that what? That we might receive eternal life. And so Jesus has now accomplished that for them. And the next move of God is to send them. He said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. We begin to understand that the pattern of Jesus' ministry and the way that he governs, remember, a government without end, that the way he governs is to send and to do what the Father does. So we understand that if we are ministers in this government, then we must do as Jesus did, as the Father did. And the one thing is what? First of all, we must accept Jesus Christ because then we can walk with him. But then we must accept that we're sent. Sent has a big, broad interpretation. Sent can mean that you're going from one place to another place, and it can also mean, in a spiritual sense, that you are ministering from one place to another place. So many of us, again, we get caught up in the graphic definitions of understanding the Word of God. We think sent means that we have to do as Paul did and go from place to place painting churches. Paul did that. That was supposed to be done. God is using people all over the world to plant churches. But sent for you and I, because of the time we live in, might also mean preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. We are sent at this time to prepare the way, and it's a spiritual path. It's a spiritual path. Yes, it has geography and time and space to it because that's the dimension we live in, but we are, if you will, standing in the path in, as a bridge between the first coming of Christ and his going home, 
and back to the Father and the second coming. We are that bridge. We are that government. We are that church that's here. And Jesus has sent us to what? Now the message is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. That's what we are sent to do. So we do well to try and understand that and to try and interpret it for ourselves, first of all. The way that you're sent to prepare the way, we can come together. That's why he says, says in all ways, he said, don't, don't forsake the fellowship of the saints coming together because we draw off of one another. We're not meant to be spiritual islands. I need you. You should need the person next to you. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need one another so that we are finding our path together in the light of God. God has a family, and the family is called the church. That's God's family. We are family. And so just like we like to travel and go see our family, our family comes to see us during holidays and times and special occasions, we're living in a very special time where as a family, we must be sent to one another and draw upon another and to understand what it is that God is calling us to do in a moment of time to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now, one scripture jumped out at me. Uh, next, next verse, peace to you as the Father said. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now notice that this was prior to the dispensation of the Holy Spirit that was sent after Christ went to heaven. Remember? He said, I'm going to send you the comforter. It's good that I go because I will send you the one who will teach you the truth in all things. It is good that I must go. And we understand that this was a foreshadow. Jesus breathing on his disciples because he is God, was God, the fullness of God in him. You can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The very breath of Jesus himself, the risen Jesus, is the nefesh, the breath of God. It's the breath of the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, what else does he tell them to do with it? And I found this one very interesting. Jesus tells them that whomsoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whomsoever sins you retain, they are retained. This comes out of John chapter 20, verse 23. Let's look at it. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, that in itself is hard for us to accept, isn't it? I mean, since when do you have the power to forgive sins? But you do. Ah, or else Jesus' words aren't true. Who do, I tru who do I choose to believe? I choose to believe him and not you. Now, I have a hard time with that myself because we fear God. We don't want to stand in the shoes of God himself. But wait a minute. We're supposed to stand in the shoes of God himself. Are you a, a, a priest and a king? Or aren't you a priest and a king? What does a priest do? A priest makes intercession for the people. Now, I, I discerned this and I struggled with it. And I've struggled with it a long time, and I keep coming up with a little bit better understanding. And this is how I got to it. The disciples' power, first of all, to forgive sins, and then we'll talk about whose sins and how, it's linked to the gift of the Spirit. Notice he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Spirit. Now you can forgive sins. And if you retain them, they're not forgiven. That's interesting, isn't it? And these verbs for, for, for forgiving and retaining, they're passive. And, and they're indicating that God is the one in action. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It's passive. It's not you having the authority by yourself, but you have the authority because of whom you're in. One of the scriptures that spoke out the most to me in one of my most difficult times, and you could go to it, 1 John 5, 15, and I'll get to it in a minute. And uh, I, I didn't intend to share this, but I will for a moment, and some of you might have heard it, some of you might not. But my wife and I were in Australia, and I had been very busy all that year, all over the world, for both the International Christian Embassy and evangelizing and preaching in many cities and many countries. A little wore out. Australia was probably one of the most trying times, maybe third in a rank, of stamina for me. And it was 21 days straight where I preached probably over 30 times, multiple times per day traveling. Miracle services. You know, miracle services take a lot out of somebody. They're not just, you know, preaching is preaching, and I'm not diminishing it, but miracle services. And the way I used to do it then is I prayed for everybody myself, laying my hands on them, thousands of people thousands of people. We're in Australia, and our prayer team is praying through the nights. We're 24-7. God's doing revival across the continent. I was sent in before Franklin Graham, and I went into every city before he came in, and we would light the fires of revival. And in this one particular moment after Laura Lee joined me, just she was there only a couple days, a woman who we respect a lot and hears from the Lord came to me, and her face was, was white with panic in a sense, and she said, Frank, uh, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me that, that the devil was so angry with you that he's put a pact out to kill your children. And, uh, of course, we thought about that for a moment. Laura Lee said, should we go back? What should we do? I said, we're going to pray. So we prayed through the night. We prayed through the whole night. And we broke it. I felt we broke it. I said, I'm moving on. I'm not stopping. I'm going to continue on. The Lord has our children who were back at home with a person we didn't know very well at the time. And so uh, we're going on, and we fulfill that mission of God. We come home, and two days later, I'm in Washington, D.C. as the speaker for the uh, End Time Handmaidens Conference. About 5,000 women in the Hilton Hotel just shadowing the White House and, and all of that. And it's very powerful. The power of the Lord breaks out. It's strong. We move into miracles, and before we do, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, tell everybody to call out the names of those that they, of their loved ones that they want to be saved. Shout them out at the top of their voices. So we did, and we shouted out. Well, the first names that came out of me were my family, my brother, like you would, my, my uh, uh, nephews, my godson, and uh, that was it. Powerful night. I prayed for people till 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. Little anecdote, it was a little funny because the manager of the place came to get me about 6 a.m. and told me that there were women that passed out in the elevators that are going up and down and up and down in the power of God. And he says, you need to stop. And uh, I said, good, thank you. I'll take that as from the Lord. And so I went and collapsed in my room. Um, we went home. I was very tired, very exhausted, had been on the road nonstop. And at two o'clock in the morning, the faithful call came on, on July 7th from my brother. And that was that my nephew, his son, Christian Amedia, was killed in a car accident. He hit a little tree about this big in Mill Creek Park, 16 years old. I was devastated because all I could hear was the cackling of hell. I went into the hospital when they told me I had to go find him. And I walked right through a guard that was there and through some chaplain that was there. And I went right into the room and there he was in his broken body. 
And my brother was sitting outside. And I laid my hands upon him to raise him. Now remember, I had just performed tens of thousands of miracles that year in the name of the Lord. My faith was strong. I've seen the dead raise. I've prayed for the dead to raise. I've seen eyes open. I've seen people healed mightily. I said, Lord, there's no way we lose this one. Let's raise this boy. And I remember laying my body across him, and I put my faith upon his faith, and I remember the scripture Jesus breathed on them, and I breathed into him as if I was resuscitating him. I felt his body shake. I thought, surely he's getting up now. I got up and I looked, and the body was still limp. I laid back on the body. I prayed again, and I cried out, and I screamed out to God to raise this body in the name of Jesus. I told hell it had to give up its chains, that death couldn't preside. The body shook again. I saw it. I felt it. He didn't get up. I did it one more time. The body shook again. He didn't get up. And I could hear the cackling of the demons speaking out. We got one. We got one. We told you we would get one. I went home. Went to see my mother that morning and tell her before she saw it on the news. I went home. Laura Lee was obviously shaken, as was I. And she's crying, shaking her head, saying, I don't think I could do this anymore. I don't think I could do this anymore. What was I to say? I was ready to tell her, I don't think I can either. And so I struggled. And I had a whole bunch of events coming up. One coming up at CBN with Pat Robertson just two weeks later. How could I do anything? I was defeated. I didn't have power over death. I lost. The gospel I was preaching didn't have its power. What I believed in faith, resurrection power, didn't work. And it's one thing, you know, at least where I come from, it's one thing to put yourself as a sacrifice, right? I mean, I've been in some tough places. It's okay, because if it's me, I understand. It's me and the Lord. But it's another thing to put innocent people in that place. How could I do that? How could I do that again? I was crushed. And I remember every day, every hour, up to the funeral home, and then we went to the gravesite. And right at sunset, I remember going there with, with my family, my father. And we were all defeated and crushed. Fast forward, we come back to the house and there's a little reception. People are coming in. We're numb. The family's numb. I don't even remember anything other than there were some young men sitting around. They didn't know what to do, his friends. And one of them was a pretty big boy. And I asked some of them just some questions and the one boy said to me, he said, sir, Christian just stayed at my house over Easter. He was staying at my home. I said, he was? He goes, yeah. I said, what'd you guys do uh, Resurrection Sunday morning? He said, we took him to church with us. And I said, he told me where the church was, Poland Baptist Church. I said, was there a, an altar call? He said, yes. I said, did my nephew go forward? He said, yes, he did. He received Jesus. I broke I said, he didn't get one of mine. You didn't get him, devil. The Lord's got him. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, son, don't deny the power. It was his time. He didn't want to come back. 
I went that two weeks later to CBN, and they had a strange way of doing things back then. For a guy like me, it doesn't work too well. They had, they had booked me six months ahead of time. I was booked almost a year, two years ahead of time all the time. And they called, and whoever was doing their program, they stuck me on the phone. My secretary stuck me on the phone with them, and they said, we need to know what the title of your message is. I'm thinking to myself, six months from now, you want me to tell you what the title of my message is? And I opened my Bible, like, like, like I'm just playing, and I opened it up, and it went to Psalms 19, and it said, the heavens declare the glory of God. So that's what I told them. I said, that's my title, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, when I went out to the graveyard with my family, and I was crying out for, my, for the Lord to just show my brother a little ray of hope, a little ray of hope. It was overcast like yesterday. No sun, not even a break in the clouds, raining. I walked there. I got drenched while they all were at the graveside. I was crying out to God for any sign whatsoever for my brother. And lo and behold, as we were pulling out of there, the skies opened up, the sun broke through. The glory of the Lord came down and the heavens declared the glory of God. And in that instance, it was as if there were seven fingers pointing from the clouds and the trails and the contrails, whatever they were, pointing. And when we pulled over to the side, my brother's words were, my unchurched brother's words, he made it. He made it. Beloved, there's power in the breath of Jesus Christ. There's power in our risen Lord. But is there enough power to forgive sins? Is there enough power to retain sins? Who am I to retain somebody's sins? Well, I'm not, and neither are you. I've come to this conclusion on a very difficult topic, that Jesus commanded us, not me, but when we put God's power of redemption in motion, we are activating the power over sin. Let me say it again. When we put God's power of redemption in motion, we are activating his power over sin. That's what a priest does. A priest stands in the place for the people. And he can say, if you will accept that Christ died for your sins, I can assure you your sins are forgiven you. And if you don't accept it, I can assure you you're still holding on to your sins. Because there's only one way. He's the truth, the way, and the light. And it's through Jesus Christ. That's the power that we have. It's the power to release the redemptive power of Jesus Christ in everybody's lives that he will give us to. So if you forgive someone's sins against you, or they forgive you for your sins against them, then those sins are forgiven. Do you understand that power? That didn't happen in the Old Testament. There was no such thing as a forgiveness for sins. There was a penalty and a price for sins. I remember once, it's, it was funny, not at the time to me, but I look back and it was a little bit pathetic. I remember once being in the Orthodox temple and I heard the most strange message from the rabbi. And apparently somebody must have ran into somebody's Cadillac out in the parking lot. I don't know where this came from, but I guess this was his way of dealing with it. And he said, listen, according to the law, if you kill or destroy your neighbor's bullock, you're supposed to replace that bullock. And he said, so if you damaged your neighbor's Cadillac, you need to fix their Cadillac. It was like, whoa, where did that come from? 
I didn't have to worry it wasn't me. I had a broken down, beat up old Oldsmobile that was rusted and everything was falling off of it, so I wasn't worried about it. I would have given somebody the car if they really wanted it. But the way we live, the way we live, it isn't an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because of Jesus, you can forgive sins. And you can forgive sins against you and sins against others. That's number one. And that's the most powerful way of exercising that. But now when we go into the spiritual dimension, let's go the next step further, the Holy Spirit. Notice he breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You can't operate in that power unless you receive the Holy Spirit. Capiche? You cannot operate in that power unless you receive the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus breathed on them first. The breath of God, the nefesh of God, the Holy Spirit, the ruach hokadesh, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the fire of God. Once he breathed upon them, now they had the capacity, not only in their mind, but in their spirit, and the authority in heaven above and on heaven and, and, and on earth, here on earth, to forgive sins in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a power. There's authority in it. Why do you think Jesus, he never had the opportunity for the Roman guards or even for Herod, or even for those classic rabbis that, that put him to death. He never had the opportunity to ask them to repent of their sins. But yet when he was on a cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe the Father forgave them. Some people may not want to accept that, but I believe the Father forgave them. And I believe when you say, Father, forgive him, he doesn't know what he does. I believe the Father forgives him because of the power of who you are in Jesus Christ and the authority in the name. Do you realize that what he is saying is you can release, come on, Kisha Saye, you can release people of chains or you can chain them. You can chain them by refusing to forgive. I just experienced something that blew my mind. I was sharing this with my wife and son last week. Someone very close to me, their father died recently. He wasn't church, never has been. His father, tough guy, cusses, yells. He died. Unexpectedly, nothing prepared. Here one day, coma, dead three days later. And I would expect to hear all kind of different things from him as I tried to minister, but he said something to me that blew my mind. And then I understand this. He said, you know, something very strange happened. I said, what's that? He said, I'm not bitter with anybody anymore. I'm not angry with anyone anymore. It's like he went, and I don't care anymore. I'm, I feel good. I don't want to feel like that ever again. He hadn't been preached to. There wasn't a deliverance that I performed or somebody else did. It was a chain that was broken, a chain that was generational that had gone from his father and probably his father's father and his father's father's father. He didn't even understand the root of the bitterness, but he knew the difference when it was broken. And he said, I don't want to feel like that again. And I said, son, you and I are going to pray soon together. He says, I'll let you know when I'm ready. And I backed off. You see, God has taken steps, steps of by his spirit you have a power and authority that is beyond your understanding not only because jesus died and rose again 
Not only because he ascended into heaven where he's our high priest, but because he sent his Holy Spirit to be inside of us who's called a spirit of truth. What's the ultimate truth? That Jesus Christ is, that the Lord God is one. That's the ultimate, the Shema Israel. The Lord God is one. He's the only one. There's none other. That's truth. That's ultimate truth. And the other truth we get through the new covenant is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we can accept that our sins are forgiven us and we have eternal life. That's truth. And the spirit of truth has come to us. So linked to the Holy Spirit is moving in a spiritual dimension, a powerful dimension in constant communion with God. Now, we're going to have communion this morning. And I love communion. But I want you to understand something. There are religious people who think that's the only time there's communion with God. There's people that feel if they don't get their communion on time at the right place, whenever it's supposed to be, that somehow we're missing God. No, the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are in constant communion with God. It's eternal communion. Eternal communion. I'm going to go very quickly through a few more scriptures. I'd like us to turn to Hebrews 9 as we prepare for communion, verses 11 through 15. Hebrews 9. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal, underlying eternal, eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, then how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through, who through, who through, who through, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Note, through the eternal spirit, Jesus gave a foreshadow when he breathed upon his disciples. He said, now go forgive. I'm sending you. I breathe upon you. That was a foreshadow to the Holy Spirit coming. And everything he did for you and I was through the eternal spirit. The same spirit that lives in you raised him from the dead. Come on. The same spirit that lives in you raised him from the dead. That's resurrection power. That's the power to go before the very throne room of God. Now, there's a scripture in Re Revelations that happens four times at least, and it's referred to in Isaiah. It talks about the seven spirits of the Lord. So much has been said about it. Listen, beloved, it's very simple. The seven spirits of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. And there's seven different manifestations of that spirit. That's another time in another place. And that's only categorizing them. The Holy Spirit is boundless. But that spirit stands before the throne room of God. 
and you enter boldly into the throne room through the Spirit. Jesus Christ went through the Spirit for eternal redemption. You have the authority and the power. You have the keys of heaven and the kingdom government, if you will, through the Spirit. I just want to talk about the keys of the kingdom very quickly. How many of you feel as if there's obstacles in the way of your life right now? How many of you feel like there's things that, you know, they're just, they're tough. They're hurdles, they're burdens, they're walls, they're challenges, they're depressions. I think if you go through and talk to most people, somebody has some issue somewhere. But there are spiritual keys that unlock God's purposes here in this natural room, realm. But they're through the Spirit. You must bring heaven to earth in your walk and in your life. You can't deal with it in an earthly passion. Listen to me. You can't deal with it with an earthly faith. Faith that is only bound on earth isn't the kind of faith that will move a mountain. Yes, you can believe that God is, but unless you believe that God is everything for you and that you are everything in God in you, you're not going to move mountains. You have keys. You have very powerful keys. This is great news. Take a moment to think about spiritual, your, your own keys. They're here somewhere. I don't care. You look at them, and those keys can open doors. I happen to have a set of keys for the church, and one of them is a master key because I got tired of trying to find keys for every door. So we finally put a master key. It took me only 10 years to figure that one out. That master key opens every door. Guess what his name is? Jesus. He's the master key. But I have many other keys that come in the authority of that master key. I can enter into any office and into any place as the Lord wills me to or as I need to go for a specific purpose of God. You have many keys that have a specific purpose for God. And in any given moment, to release God's power so that His will is accomplished for you. But let me tell you something. If you have a key and you don't use it, or you don't put it in the right lock, what use is it? How many of you have had keys from other things that you no longer have, like a vehicle, a car, a house, a door? You wonder why you still have them. I know ourselves at our home, we have a box of keys. I don't have a clue where we... Laura Lee, when we go home today, let's throw all those keys out. They're useless. I'm trying to match a key with a lock that doesn't exist anymore. A vehicle that's been gone 25 years. The key must fit. It must match. But your spiritual keys, listen to me. Your spiritual keys, you turn them this way with your mouth. Thus saith the Lord, I am not the tail, I'm the head. Thus saith the Lord, I can tread on those scorpions and sermons. Thus saith the Lord, you have no power over me, devil. Thus saith the Lord, it doesn't matter what man shall say, I believe the word of the Lord. My God is able. My God shall not anytime, anywhere ever forsake me. I could go on and on and on. We have keys, but we need to turn the keys, and they're important keys. But the master key, the key of keys, the name above all names, the name by which every knee must bow and every tongue confess is called Jesus Christ. And when you use the master key, 
and you declare what God has given you the authority to declare in the name of Jesus Christ, you win. You win. How many believe you win? You're not going to know you win unless you use the keys. You may think for the moment that you lost. I thought I lost. I thought I was done with ministry. I was hanging it up. But then the Lord said, no, I got him. I knew ahead what was coming. And I don't understand God's time and reasoning. There's a reason why God takes people before we expect they should go. There's a reason. It's happened to all of us too many times in our lives. The older we get, the more we experience it. I just saw some, some poor lady. I don't even know who she is. Her name's Shea, Shea, S-H-E-A, Shea, crying out that last night a drunk hit her head on, killed three of her children, and her mother struggling for her life in the hospital. This poor child lost three children last night. I cried out, Lord, first thing this morning I saw that. Lord, why? 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 I don't understand it. You may not understand it, but this I know, those babies are in his hands. This I know, the Lord didn't allow that devil to steal those children. This I know, he didn't allow him to steal your spouse. This I know, he didn't allow that devil to take away from you what isn't God's. It's a transformation from this place to that place through the eternal spirit. And we shall see them again through that same eternal spirit. And that same eternal spirit that has our loved ones in their hands is inside of you and I and has us in his hands also. We have keys, very important keys. So many of them that I would suggest you just look and see how much of the government, his government without end, listen to that, his government without end. What is your authority without end? Because you have keys to the government. You have an authority that is not limited because he's unlimited. You have an authority that escapes the bounds, the boundaries of the earth in this dimension. It's greater than politics. It's greater than systems. It's greater than any other thing here on earth. It's him already. So use the keys. Set captives free with the keys. Walk through doors of opportunity. Use your mouth to declare them. Use your kingdom keys in prayer. Use your kingdom keys as you praise. (laughs) And then use the name of Jesus, the master key. And be obedient. You know, we have a simple faith. Ours isn't complicated. The only thing that makes it complicated is when theologians try to tell us too many different ways to get to the simple conclusion. You're a priest, you're a king. A king has dominion. Your dominion is the sphere that God has given you, a sphere of influence. And wherever your feet go, that's your dominion. If you say it is. And if you walk as if it is. You could walk into the very pit of hell itself, but if your feet go in there, you have power and authority. You're a king. But more than a king, you're a priest. You have a high priest. Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to be a son of Aaron or Aaron wondering if you're going to die that day as you go in to the Holy of Holies, and that's only for a moment. But did you have a high priest who's already set the path for you, and he says, come boldly into the throne room with me. Let's go through the Spirit together. And the Spirit rejoices as you walk through. 
because you're walking in the confidence of the faith of God. Earthly faith won't help you one bit. Eternal faith, you change the world and you change the path of your destiny. I'd like us to pass out the elements for communion, please. This looks like pretty good bread. Did you make this bread? You did. You're such a blessing. Ah. I should pass this around so y'all could smell it. Wow. I'm privileged. I get special homemade bread from Sherry. I accept it. Hmm. Just taking it out of that little plastic that you put it in, just the aroma. That's the real stuff. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, as often as you take of this, think of me? I mean, he's already told us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us the Holy Spirit is in us. He tells us all of this because the root of the foundation of our faith goes back to the fact that he's the bread of life and that by his blood we have the redemption of sins. So he's teaching us that we could become so supernatural, so theological, so sensational, so caught up in our own ideas of faith and in the movements of faith. If you've been in the Lord long enough, you've experienced several moves of faith. Some of them have moved on, thank God, and some of them need to move on. We've been through a lot, haven't we? But the one thing that's forever and eternal is communion with Jesus Christ. Now, without going through the whole Passover again, as I've had with you many times, I can tell you this, that he patterned it perfectly like it was supposed to be for that moment in time. And when he was with his disciples and he broke the bread and he passed it to his left and to his right, which was the ritual and the custom at that time to break bread together, he opened their eyes and he said, this is my body. This is bread, the bread of life. This is my body broken for you. This is my body which I give for you. Now the body is fleshly. The body was his flesh body. The body was Jesus in the flesh. But something happened when Jesus gave it, and when Jesus rose from the dead, all of a sudden that body, that glorified body began to multiply into the body of Christ. And so when we really want to consider what happened in that transformation from the earthly to the heavenly, we start with the body being broken for us. And as we partake and eat of this body, we do so believing and knowing that we are partaking of the bread of life of Jesus Christ. Now, in this, in itself, there's no power. This is a piece of bread, a very delicious piece of bread. 
smells wondrously. But this bread by itself has no power for me either here on earth or in heaven. But when I extend my faith, my heavenly faith, then I realize that I'm partaking of the body of Jesus Christ as a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And so the beauty of communion is when we come together, not forsaken the fellowship of the saints, we're partaking with one another. Can you believe and accept that in that, no matter what position you're in, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter you say, you know what, I've, I've been through too much, I've seen too much, this hasn't worked. Can you lay that all aside for a moment and believe that because we come together as members of the body of Christ, we are transcending from this earthly dimension of faith to the heavenly dimension of faith through, through the eternal spirit. Let us take together. I can hardly quit eating this bread. Dessert. As it comes to the wine, we know this was at the third cup of the Passover, the Messianic cup. The cup when the Messiah himself was lifting the cup to his disciples. He said, I've longed for this supper with you. I'm not going to have it again, and I'm not going to drink of this with you until we have our supper in heaven again together. To where we're not only transforming what's on earth, but we're transformed into the heavenlies completely, totally glorified spiritual bodies together. But then he said to them, this blood is for the remission of sins. Now we understand that it was only once and for all. There are some who believe that somehow Jesus just keeps bleeding. No. It's spiritual now through the eternal spirit. God doesn't need to have manifested flesh to move through the eternal spirit. The eternal spirit is he who he is. But there's something that happens when we acknowledge, when we worship, when we declare the power of the blood of Jesus. What happens is, first of all, once again, we covenant with him that our sins are forgiven. And if you're carrying some weight on you, right now is a good time to just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm back. I'm back. You might be saying, even someone who's listening right now, I've said it too many times, Pastor, and then for some reason I fall. We'll say it one more time. Because he's relentless. He never gives up. He's gracious. He's beyond the way we measure things. And he's not as hard on us as we are on ourselves. He doesn't condemn us. He's come to give us grace. That's who he is. He's the God of grace. And we enter into the throne of grace through the eternal spirit. So let's renew our covenant with him again. Let's go back to the foundation and we'll lift our cup as we will and we shall say, Lord, I believe, I believe that you have washed me clean and I believe that by this power, I shall be able that day to enter in to the heavenly place with you. In Jesus' name.
Ralph, I'd like you to come up a second, please, and to grab a microphone. I'd like you to do a salvation invitation and prayer for anybody here and those online. Make sure you got a camera on him while he's coming up and stands in the middle here, please. Right here, if you will, Ralph, right in the middle. Please. If you're here watching online and you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus that meets the promises that he's, that he's died to give us, today's a day, today's an opportunity to do that. We sang a song that said, you can have the whole world or give me Jesus. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to take him. He's not going to force you to receive him. He's going to say, if you want the whole world, take the whole world, but you're going to get what the world gives you. You're going to get a mindset of madness. You're going to get the evil intentions, the ill intents of the world. Or so good. you can receive Jesus who says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All these things that you want and desire, I'll give to you. That's the option today. That's why he came. So if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to receive the things that he promises, love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, then today's that day to receive it. If you want the world, you can have the world. If you want Jesus, he's given himself to us today. If you want to receive him, we're going to ask everybody to bow your heads. If you're watching online, do it online. Do it in front of the camera. Do it in front of your phone, in front of your, in front of your television, in front of whatever screen you're watching. Bow your heads. If you want to receive Jesus, if you want the good gift that the Father gave us through Jesus, Jesus came that when he would die, he would leave with us the comforter, this Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that is access into the boldness of the throne as we go. If you want to receive Jesus today, say, Father, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Show me yourself. Show me yourself, Lord. I surrender these things that I've been holding on to, the things that I desire. I surrender, Lord. I want the things that you want for me. Father, because you want good things for me. You desire me to have great gifts, a great life. I receive Jesus today. I thank you for the spirit that comes, the spirit that will reside with me, the spirit that will live inside of me, that will guide me and direct me. Thank you for giving me Jesus. I receive Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray. Jesus, amen. Amen and amen.